Dana, a former TV presenter and radio host. But to Luca and Darcy, I'm known as... Mommy! Maybe one day they'll realise I used to be cool. Being a mum has been my greatest joy and biggest headache. It's taken me to playgroups and parent gatherings, mainly for cake and coffee, but also to meet parents and swap stories, which reminded me I'm not alone and the things we face are normal. And that's what this podcast, Parents We've Met, is all about. My oldest said to me about two weeks ago, he said, Mum, are you still a sex therapist? like, whoa. <laughs> Didn't realise that he knew that. I don't think we're meant to do this parent gig alone, and I knew I needed a bit of a coach to help me along the way. And that's where Jenny comes in. You've got this, Dana. Yes, we've got this, Jenny. We've got it. I read Jenny's book, KFC, which at first I thought was going to be a mean recipe, but instead I found what I was really needing. I needed to know how to be kind, firm and calm. Every parent has their own story and their own struggles. So join us as we chat through the magic and mess of this parenting gig. Kapai Jenny, welcome to Parents We've Met. Now this episode had me on the edge of my seat the whole time as we chatted with sex and betrayal trauma specialist Joe Robertson. Joe was also a passionate advocate, researcher and educator in the space of youth and porn culture. Now in this chat we learn more about who Jo is as a mum of three boys, how her own unique upbringing has shaped her and how she survived an epic sailing adventure around Fiji with her husband Dave and kids. We also learn more about the campaign that Joe's championing to help make the internet a safer place for our kids. So welcome Joe. There's many things we would love to talk to you about, but I suppose being a parenting podcast, we should start with, what does your whānau look like? Can you tell us the ages, stages, and who's in your family? Sure. So you mentioned that I am married to Dave, and we have three boys. So our oldest is nine, and then the middle one is eight, and then our youngest is five. So they were, we just like rapid-fired that situation, and <laughs> which was hard at the beginning, but great pretty much now. Uh, they are all really different personalities. The oldest is largely compliant, but, you know, he wants to be an adult. So he's always keen to be in that adult conversations. Mm. Uh, the middle one is very highly introverted. So wants to be alone a lot, um, doesn't like praise, doesn't like a lot of talking. <laughs> and then the youngest is what we call the challenger. He basically came out yelling and didn't stop. And that's how he lives now, just yelling. Wow. Hey Jo, I'm always interested in what's what have been the big surprises of being a mum? What's sort of taken you by surprise? Two things really come to mind. One is, this sounds really dumb, but I actually didn't expect them to be as dependent mm. <laughs> on me. I had this idea that they would kind of be fairly self-sufficient, particularly as they got older. You know, I think in my mind, five was like this cutoff age mm. of these highly um, kind of independent children. And I realized as soon as I became a parent, how uncomfortable with dependence I was mm. uh, for lots of different reasons. But that really hit me hard that they needed and wanted me all the time. And so that's a huge adjustment. Mm. Uh, and on in a positive direction, one thing that surprised me is the amount of really rich conversations you can have and actually how funny they can be. Like they can bring you actual joy and laughter. So I, I love that part of parenting. It's their personalities emerge and they crack jokes. That's to be honest, like I, I was, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Mm. What's it like parenting with Dave? 
Dave is an exceptional parent. So I actually went to a counsellor once a few years ago, I was dealing with some anxiety, and she said, oh, you know, what's Dave like as a parent? And I said, he is superior. And she said, is it a competition? <laughs> and I said, well, no, that would be pointless because I could never win that. <laughs> so he is really amazing. He is super fun. He almost always brings his best self actually apart from when we were in Fiji that was the most challenging time for him so it was interesting uh, but he is really warm he tells the boys he loves them all the time he's highly high tolerance patience mm. I often feel really inadequate I have my own strengths which are um which he learns from mm. so I definitely know my I have a role here mm. but he's amazing you mentioned Fiji. Let's go back there where, you know, Dave wasn't shining as much. Yes. <laughs> so you've got all the kids, 2022, I believe. Yep. And you go, let's all jump on a boat, go around Fiji and, and all live together. What brought on that adventure? Well, actually years ago, so probably about five years ago, we decided that we would go on an international trip and take what we were terming at the time a sabbatical. So we've both worked in the charitable sector almost our whole lives and give a lot of ourselves to other people, which we love to do. But we knew that we would need to take a break. We also really wanted the kids to experience another culture. And we knew they couldn't get that from like a one week in Fiji experience. And, you know, you don't get that from a resort. And so we initially planned to actually go to Bali and live on the beach in, you know, like a house somewhere quite remote for three months then COVID hit and we had saved for many years to go on this trip so that we didn't have to work for months at a time. And then when we realized that nothing was really getting much better in terms of travel, we thought, what's the one way we can do this? Because the idea of continuously putting it off was really hurting my soul because uh, we'd looked forward to it for so long. Mm. And so the only way that we could go overseas was by what's called the blue lane. So Fiji was the only country allowing boats in because you would do a significant chunk of your quarantine time on the water. So we decided in the 2021 long three-month lockdown in Auckland that we would buy a boat and sail there. Wow. <laughs> and then we would be able to escape the country and we would <laughs> live there for ideally five months and then we would sail home if New Zealand allowed us to. Closer to the time the flights opened up. So me and the boys flew there while Dave sailed there. But on the way, on the way back, Jack sailed as well mm -hmm. because he was really capable and really wanted to do the ocean crossing. I actually saw some footage of you guys saying goodbye and there was so many tears. I think I even started to well up as watching your boys like, I hope you make it. Yes. <laughs> I love you. Yes. It was super intense. Mm. Even if I could cry now thinking about it mm. because I'd never known anyone who had crossed an ocean before and we didn't have a lot of communication you're only on, you know, on satellite phones and that's really limited I had a $400 phone bill from just eight days of texting like two times a day so it was really really limited in how much we could talk and it's dangerous you know boats go down and mm. we knew that David had somebody who he knew who had died on that cr exact wow. crossing so we were very going into it very eyes wide open so it was, it was emotional and also emotional as I knew Jack on the way back was also on this crossing. Mm -hmm. But we, our, the way of our parenting is, I would say, quite, I don't know, high risk. Like we allow them to take a lot of risks and we, we give them a lot of adventure on purpose 
because we want them to challenge themselves, to live life really full. We're not afraid of sickness or injury. You know, it's like we have a high tolerance for risk mm. in our family. And, and I think that if the kids do a lot of risk now, maybe they'll do less later as teens, for example. Mm. So interesting because when you mentioned like this whole sabbatical and going to Fiji, that's the first thing I think of like, I wonder what the hospitals are like there. And, you know, I'm thinking yeah. of sickness and kids and croup and all those things. On the mainland, there's healthcare. So Bo had to get a tooth pulled out. He got an abscess tooth. It was very annoying because then we had to sail seven hours back to the mainland so he could get that care. And so if you're near the mainland, you're good. But if you're in the outer islands, like at one point we were two days sail away from a hospital. Mm. So if someone goes down, like it's a high risk situation. Mm. At one point, Dave chose not to go surfing because it was at a really dangerous reef. And he knew that if something went wrong, we were going to have to sail for two days and he could get infected, you know, so it was a risky time, but we tried to be sort of careful as we went along. All five of you on a boat. I'm wondering, did your sex life go on a sabbatical over that time? (laughs) See you later. (laughs) I actually didn't anticipate that. And it was way more challenging than I expected. The boys now are at a stage where they stay up quite a bit later, the older two. So they read till about nine o'clock. And the way that your life is on a boat is you're very much guided by the sun. There's what's called a sailor's midnight, which is 9 p.m. Like you're so tired from the heat, the water, and it's quite a physical life. And so you were really exhausted by nine. So it's, yeah, and we only had a curtain in our bedroom, like as they were like two meters away and there was just a curtain between us. So it was, you know, yeah, it was was not amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Jo, what are some of the things you noticed about yourself on the trip? There's always time for learning a little bit about ourselves and it, it sounds like a trip like that might have um, encouraged some some thinking, some pondering. Yeah, I think that's true. I, however, had done a lot of thinking and reflecting and pondering through the lockdowns. So Dave and I had a different experience in that way where I felt like I had changed so much through COVID. I had really, my parenting philosophy, my way of being, my approach to work had really shifted. And so I went into the trip already in kind of a different mindset. Whereas for Dave, he had largely worked quite hard through every lockdown. And as a result, this trip for him was a real reset. Um, a pause, a pullback, a reflection time. So he did a lot more of that than I did because I had I had done that work. Mm-hmm. What work came out of that COVID time? Then you said your parenting changed. What changed for you? Yeah, I'm I'm quite a busy person in that I like to fill my time with whatever that is. So whether that's social things, whether that's learning, you know, reading, listening to podcasts or, or working. And, and we both work quite a lot. So I, I noticed through COVID, through the lockdowns, that life could be just as fulfilling without all that stuff. Mm. We also did right from the beginning of our parenting journey 10 years ago, we took the kids out all the time. And we did activities constantly. I mean, there's probably lots of reasons for that, but I learned that they really thrived in a more gentle, more still, kind of slower way of being, Mm. that they felt more connected to us, that we became a stronger unit. So there was more of a team feeling in the family. Um, Yeah, as opposed to a busy, like we achieve and get stuff Mm. done and we have lots of fun. But yeah, so it was a shift for me to think, Mm. oh, we can actually stay home. Mm. We'd never done that. Yeah, 
We never stayed home. It was a big process, I guess. Mm. I think that forced confinement did quite a lot for parents in terms of discovering that productivity and always outsourcing or going out didn't necessarily do as much as we'd hoped until we stayed at home and realised that when children and, and parents are rested, they actually do some amazing things. And it's a wonderful way to kind of dip into imagination or play differently and be a bit more restful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even financially, you think about how much we pour in, in terms of extracurricular mm. activities and going out with, as a family, even if it's just getting a fluffy at the cafe, like all of that stuff is really costly to our lives. And so when I realized as well that we didn't have to do any of that, it was really freeing. Going from lockdown at home back to lockdown in the boat. Yes. <laughs> I, I was following your journey and I found myself questioning, do we have enough adventure in our lives? Should we be packing up and (laughs) following on a boat? But I really appreciated that you had all the beautiful moments and photos, but also you shared openly about the hard stuff as well. Did you do that quite on purpose, knowing that people were watching this amazing adventure you were having? Yeah, I did it more for myself probably because I wanted to look back on the time and see it really authentically, mm. not just through beautiful photos. I wanted to remember the experience really wholly. So I was really honest about it as we went and how it was and really in a diary kind of form as much as in sharing it with other people. But it is hard to live on a boat. It is really hard. There is phenomenal beauty that you can't get in a lot of places, going to those countries, you know, sailing two days away to a remote island, the beauty there is you can't really describe it. So that's amazing, but also I vomited that whole time <laughs> getting there. So and and you are you have no personal space, um, you have to homeschool to some extent. You know, there's heaps of challenges. The boat is essentially trying to sink itself the whole time. We were told that when we first bought the boat, like what boats are doing is they're always trying to take themselves to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) So you're constantly doing maintenance, working on it. We had no food at some points. You're just living off canned food and preserved food. So (laughs) you can't help but also share that stuff because it's so Mm. much of your experience. Mm. Wow. Let's talk about your own upbringing, because that was fairly intrepid. Your parents were in the Philippines. Can you tell us a bit about what your young life looked like and some of the things you experienced that have really stuck with you? Yeah, my parents traveled a lot. I was born in the Philippines. I stayed there till about halfway through my first year of primary school. I guess I felt this richness in being with other people groups and that might be different people groups within your own country you don't have to get that internationally but I really value the feeling of otherness so that I am different from another person or that I am in the minority group which I am not often so I want the kids to experience what it's like to be a minority as well to be different to be other to be I guess observing other cultures the way that they do things better sometimes than the way that we would do. So my parents really exposed me to this way of being cross-culturally, but also that kind of high-risk life. We lived, you know, without a really robust healthcare system. My mum had actually had a son who died in the Philippines. Some would argue because of some healthcare issues there. So 
I had a real spirit of adventure instilled in me mm-hmm. at an early age and that life was, you know, as the cliche is, life was meant to be lived, not to be watched. And so we, yeah, we try and do that as well with the boys. I also place a really high value on helping other people, on serving them, on helping people meet their potential, of contributing to the world around me, that I am not passive in it, but participating in what's happening for other people. So we model that with our jobs, but we also model that with our friendships and with our family life in front of the boys. I've been doing a little bit of research, otherwise known as scrolling through Instagram. (laughs) And I stumbled across your mum and I'm a big fan of your mum already. I was seeing that she does pottery and she makes in her own words, titty mugs, which are these (laughs) mugs with breasts on it. And I thought, is this where it all began, Joe's career? Like, <laughs> is it with your mum? Is she just like no subject is, you know, off the table? Is that how your mum rolls? Yes, that is 100% true. Before she became a potter, she actually worked in women's refuge and was a social worker and then was a nurse. And so she's done all these incredibly rich, kind of um, quite servant-hearted roles. So I learnt a lot from that season. But yes, there is no conversation we have not had There's a a very um, wide range of topics that we have covered, both in in childhood and adolescence and as adults now. We have a very, very close relationship. Some would say we talk about too many things, maybe. (laughs) Very personal, very vulnerable. Yeah, Mm. she's been amazing. Sounds Mm. really lovely and close. So, Joe, what would you have taken from the family you were brought up in to your own family? They allowed us to share our opinions from a very early age and didn't attempt to change them. Wow. Which is quite revolutionary, actually. Mm. So we had the separate toilet, so the bathroom separate to the toilet, and we they painted it, I don't know, some kind of maroon colour. In my parents' house, every room is a different colour. They put a bunch of vivids in there, and they allowed us to write whatever we wanted on the walls of the toilet. And they would reply to the comments or the questions. And so there was nothing off limits. You could write whatever you wanted. I could not do that now because my house is where my clients come. So it would be highly (laughs) inappropriate. However, you could say whatever you wanted, and they would never... I guess, strongly push back, but they would often pose a question in response. Wow. That is so unique and amazing that you kind of had a voice from such a young age and weren't given the kind of the judgment quickly. So you were able to form and probably make progress in your thinking simply because you weren't fighting back. Because when you're a child, you often just want to really be heard. And so if you're being constantly challenged, you often have to push and sort of resist. So that was a beautiful way of letting you form your own ideas. Yes. Jo, do you remember what your birds and bees chat looked like when you were a child? I actually don't. I have no memory of this conversation at all. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. So my guess because I grew up knowing a lot. My guess was that it was uh, small and frequent. And and that's actually Mm -hmm. what I advocate for now. So I think that's probably what happened, that there was, you know, moments of discussion, but no big chat, Mm. which is what I try and do with my kids now, so that it's 
this kind of, you know, consent, sex, relationships, even, you know, gender, media, critical thinking, etc. that it's all just free flowing in our life. So for you, it's just, it was one of so many that it probably hasn't stood out. For parents feeling overwhelmed with chatting with kids about consent, porn, sex, where do you suggest they start? I suggest they do a little bit of reading first so they get a sense of what they would like to say. Obviously, we're not giving a lecture So it's more important to ask questions than to speak. That's always our primary posture, I guess. However, if your kids ask you a question in return, you don't have to know the answer, but it's good to just have like a few, I guess, key messages that are of value to your family or yourself that you want to throw out. So do a little bit of learning. There's so many articles or books it's really hard to sift through all that information but give a few things a go you don't have to be an expert at all I was actually talking to my dad on the way here and I just I was speaking at you know some significant conferences yesterday where people hold a lot of knowledge anyway and he said you only need to be one book in advance (laughs) <laughs> and I thought that was quite good. You know, you only you only need to be one book in front of your kids to be able to give them some cool answers. Mm. So, you know, read a couple. And then if they ask you a question that freaks you out, that's okay. This is what I call just deferring. So you celebrate the question. That's a really great question. Love that you thought about that. I'm going to do some reading and then let's chat about it again later and I'll give you some of my thoughts. There's no need to be... Perfect. I find a lot of people do what I call perfection paralysis, where they wait until they've got it all nailed in their mind before they bring it up. And to be honest, it's often uh, a bit late if we Mm. do that. Uh, So start early if you can and do the often thing. you know, try and weave it into as many conversations as possible, plant some seeds is what I call like throwing a sentence out at a time, as opposed to the big talk. However, if you get it wrong, that's all good. If you end up saying something and later on that night, you're like, wow, did not mean that. Like really mess that moment up. That's okay. I'm doing that. And I'm technically an expert. You know, I might at night reflect on a chat and be like, oh gosh, that was bad. (laughs) And that's okay. You just can fix it another day. Mm. Um, We're, you know, constantly telling our kids it's okay to make mistakes, but we don't take that advice ourselves. Yeah, true. Mm. One thing I'm hearing a little bit from parents is they're a bit worried about kids' YouTube. There's just the scrolling and this little bit of tension here and then move on to the next thing. But also... I don't know if it's an urban myth or if it is something we should be worried about, but they've been talking about how there's actually like cartoons having sex and things that are hidden in there. I mean, is that is this true? Is it something we need to be worried about? I haven't reviewed YouTube Kids in a couple of years. When I did review it, I spent a lot of time reviewing content and sites. And when I did, I did see what I would call some scarier content. Um, There's a lot of cartoon content that's really difficult to filter out. So whether it's sexual or whether it's just quite frightening, you know, one cartoon hurting another cartoon with this really scary face, quite aggressive. I think it's a high risk platform Mm -hmm. because it's user generated content. So in similar to YouTube, people are just creating content and throwing it up there and saying it's for kids. So my kids are not on YouTube. kids, But I also don't think it's great for their brain to be constantly scrolling like we know it's not good for ours so if they're going to have screen time I generally would prefer that they actually watch a more lengthy content and and get a narrative learn how to hear narrative as opposed to letting their brain dictate when they're 
bored mm. and just moving mm. on fast. It's mm. good. Joe, I've loved your work around making the internet a safer place, ultimately for our kids. Can you tell us a bit about Make Sense and what that campaign is all about? Yeah, Make Sense is about... I mean, I would say maybe six years in the making, but Holly and I started talking about it really intentionally two years ago when I realized how much illegal content there was still online. When I say illegal, I mean there are criminal acts being portrayed. And so I'm not talking about mainstream porn where there's a lot of aggression, but actual criminal behavior that is still freely available. Like I try and explain it to people like it's just as accessible as Facebook. So Mm. it's no, there's no barriers for children to stumble across illegal content it's like at the pointy end of porn and so I would like to see that filtered out for example child sexual content is currently only voluntary for internet providers to filter out so if they decided not to or a new provider was established and then they decided not to or they let a few things slip through there would be no consequences for them there would be no fine no slap on the hand nothing and I don't think that's good enough I mean to be honest I actually think it's neglect Mm -hmm. I mean it's amazing when you watch tv and it's like if you've seen something that you're not happy with you can make a complaint I mean why is that with tv but with the internet and this whole world out there that there's not been the same sort of restrictions it's a really different kind of like legislative environment so tv new zealand authorities decide what goes on tv and so you can complain to a new zealand body and say hey this was not cool you know don't show that ad at 6 p.m or whatever Mm. and there's actually an authority who can change that however you can't do that with international platforms because they're created in sweden and then the producer is in Tokyo and then it's being shown in New Zealand you know it's really difficult however we do already filter some illegal content out so the technology is there to be able to do it. Do your kids know what work you do is that something that's quite open or do you keep it kind of separate it's definitely an evolution of disclosure so they they in the early days they knew that I helped couples or like mums and dads or people in in relationships to become better friends Mm. so that was our statement early on around the Mm. sex therapy work and then they knew that I was trying to make the internet a safer place for kids so that's still pretty much their their story on the internet thing however my oldest said to me about two weeks ago he said mom are you still a sex therapist and I was like whoa (laughs) didn't realize that he knew that and then I said how did you know that and fine you know yes I am and and where did you read that and he said I read it in a magazine and so he's just, you know, as they able to read, I have become a lot more careful. And then he said at school, um, I, I was doing my pepiha. And so on our Chromebook, I searched for your name to try mm. and find a photo of you to copy paste into my pepiha document, of which there was every article I have ever been a part of and uh, videos that I have obviously spoken on. Once I checked at the school uh, the next day, once you click on those, you can't read the content, but you can see the photo, the title and the description. And so he learned a lot in that journey. Mm. (laughs) I love that you asked a question first, Joe, rather than sort of a defensive one, but finding out more, showing a curiosity is such a lovely way to parent. What's your take? Or what do you think parents need to think about when they're a little bit nervous about some of the change that's happening in schools? 
I mean, I would say ask a lot of questions of your school and don't be afraid to be a bit annoying. I think I'm very annoying to my school. I think they probably don't love getting emails from me, (laughs) but I'm okay with that because it's more important to me that my kids are in a good space than the like school's discomfort. So I have this kind of question that I ask myself all the time is who's the client? So because I'm a therapist, that's you know, that's my framework. So the school is not my client. My kids are, so they're my primary focus. And I, so I ask tons of questions. I am on those iPads at school and I am checking them and I am getting in there with the principal and having a meeting and I am doing all the things and that's not fun for them because it's challenging, right? Because I'm saying, you know, why aren't you doing enough or please do more or this isn't good enough. And I've had to I guess, get comfortable with that. Uh, in the beginning, I didn't want to rock the boat too much. And it's this feeling I think amongst lots of parents, maybe it's a Kiwi culture thing as well, is yeah, don't rock the boat, you know, just keep everything peaceful. Uh, don't be annoying to people, keep your head down. And now I'm like, nah, my kids are more important than that. Mm. So that's what I would probably say to parents is your kids are more important than your discomfort and also the school's discomfort. Mm. What's one parenting advice, mum advice that you give to um, your friends, maybe that are starting this parenting journey? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't get too wrapped up with your kids. That sounds really countercultural, but focus on yourself as well. So if you want to keep learning, if you want to keep working, do that in a sustainable way, but you are a person as well. You deserve care and attention and time off. So that's a biggie for me is keep your hand in things that bring you joy. The other thing that if you're pre the birth, (laughs) so if you're pre having kids or even ideally pre relationship, then have a very robust, intense, detailed chat with your partner about roles, expectations Mm -hmm. and ideals, what I call hopes and dreams. What do you both want to get out of your weekend? What do you both want to get out of the first year? What is important to you in this journey? I think there's a lot of unspoken expectations and it doesn't go well. That's what I see in couples work Mm -hmm. uh, at this stage Mm -hmm. is they're like, well, I thought that you would be like this and I thought you would stay at home and I thought I would go back to work and blah 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 it's like we could have probably circumvented a bit of this if we'd had a very very detailed chat Mm. Mm. so wise joe what's one thing you said you'd never do and have done as a parent told my kids they're being annoying (laughs) I never thought that I would succumb to like the most negative critique I get from them (laughs) I give to them telling them to go away I'm an introvert myself. Mm. It's my default is to is to push away mm. and to kind of strive for this. Be independent. Do it yourself. Like don't you don't need me. Like stop asking me to do stuff for you. I didn't ever think that I would say things like that. And now I do. Mm. I offer myself a lot of compassion. So I <laughs> I'm all right. Like I don't beg on myself mm. for doing these things. Mm. I'm, I'm all good with being a, what I call an average parent. Mm. Uh, I'm average to above average and that's all good for me. A lot of the work you do, it's so messy, but I'm wondering where are you finding the hope right now? Like with this Make Sense campaign, what is keeping you really hopeful? At the moment, with Make Sense, every person, you know, from a government department or agency, ministry, that we have asked for a meeting have said yes. So that's really good. And we've got these really important 
pivotal, you know, change-making kind of conversations coming up in the next couple of months that I'm excited by. Either that means they're like a little bit scared or they actually really care about this. I don't know which one, but I'll take both. I'll take either. So that's really good. I also, I guess I see and hear a lot of parents who really want to do things differently they're really wanting to crack down on devices a bit more I think it was really normal for a long time to give your 11 12 13 year old a phone and I'm kind of hearing a little bit more of a pushback on that and that people want to do a different journey and so that's that's great yeah I'm all about delay on these things Mm. Joe, when your boys are older and they're about to leave home what do you hope they'll be like What would you love to see in them? Mm. I hope that they will have a sense of purpose so that they'll know what they want to achieve in the world. That would be my hope. It's maybe not realistic for a 17 or Um, (laughs) 18-year-old. I was that person. Dave was not so much. So, you know, it's okay if they're not. But I do want them to have a sense of kind of who they want to be in the world, like what maybe what their values are, what they want to contribute. Yeah. I want them to have a high level of respect for other people, Mm. particularly, they're all boys, so particularly of women, that would be, I would feel like I'd really succeeded if they were feminists, if they described themselves in that way or terms that are similar. I would like them to be adventurous and to take risks. So to choose passion over money, things like that. Mm. Yeah. I love that you've, this whole chat, you've talked about therapy and and that you check in with people. Jenny has been one of my go-to people (laughs) through my whole parenting journey so far. Quite often in my WW, uh, JD, what would you do? Um, and and that works for Joe too, which is great. Exactly. Exactly. I've got you both here. I should just keep asking you questions. I'm wondering though, while we're here, is there anything that you're wanting a different perspective on that you want to throw at Jenny? Oh, that's good. Oh gosh. Yes. How much of our own personal emotional stuff is appropriate to disclose to our kids? You know, like stuff we're finding hard or if Mm. our relationship and our marriages or partnerships are challenging, how much do we disclose to them? That's a goodie and a biggie. And I guess it's going to depend on what age they're at. I think we know that children want us to be the safe people that they can rely on. They want us to be sturdy. So I think we have to give them a sense of we have got what it takes, as well as giving them the sense of we make mistakes, we don't know it all, we go and research the books if we don't have the answers. So it's a beautiful combination of I'm sturdy, I'm going to take care of you, it is my job to look after you and you can be safe with me. And then also letting them know when you're tired or stressed or you're a bit anxious or you're talking about your feelings. And so they know that it's perfectly acceptable to have the the whole range of feelings. You're bored, you're tired, you're worried. And at the same time, holding that sense of, but I'm in the lead and I'm okay and you're okay with me. So I don't know if that kind of combines it. But I think children also really appreciate that we're on a journey and that we're learning and growing and changing and developing and some of our opinions will change. So they've got that sense of there's growth happening here or there's a little bit of neediness, but not an overwhelm of a child feeling that they are at the mercy of their parents' emotional journey. Mm. 
That's good. One last question. I think the stuff that you've shared about what changes you want to make with the internet and what kids can access, we would all say we agree with that. We want that to happen. How can we partner as parents and help you with the work you're doing? Great question. Well, we have a parliamentary petition running. It's really important that we have as many people sign that as possible because it is a tangible representation of Appetite for Change. So we need the government to know that the public cares about this. You know, they'll change if they feel a push from the public. So that is really important. You can go on makesense.org.nz or we're also on Instagram to get the link to that. But the other thing is to be talking with ideally like everyone you know, sharing that petition, sharing what's going on online, um, sharing your concern. And the more word spreads, obviously the more that public appetite grows. I have a lot of chats with parents who just actually don't know what's online or what their kids can access or what their kids have already accessed that is you know obviously concerning at lots of levels so the more you talk about content devices etc with your friends with your family it's really helpful for change thank you so much joe <laughs> you're so welcome it was good to be here I love that chat. I feel like I want to go home, get some paint, paint the toilet. (laughs) I'm worried all my kids would just write as poo though. I think that's the word of the moment. But how amazing growing up in a home where no questions were, you know, pushed under the the rug. Anything Mm. was on the table to talk about. I love that too. I think that that openness and inquiry was recognised and you could be curious and nothing was banned. And I think children do very quickly learn this is acceptable, this isn't acceptable, mm. and they, they become more guarded. But by doing that question thing and, you know, anywhere on the toilet walls they could write their questions was a beautiful way of saying to a child, you're listened to, nothing is out of bounds, we can work this out. And that would have given them such a lead in life to be curious, open, and probably not deal with shame. Because mm. shame is where you feel sort of wrong for even having the thought. Well, they could put their thoughts on the toilet wall. And I think now with Jo and her own kids, I feel like it's almost like you can see them as teenagers coming to her with anything mm. because it's a safe place. Absolutely safe. Nothing shameful about their questions. And I, I felt really encouraged by that. I also felt challenged because I think of my parenting and I just don't take enough risks. I don't allow my kids to take enough risks. I I think my home was not the safest growing up. And so it's almost like I want to bubble wrap them a little bit more. So I think I'm going to walk away from this going, where should I be allowing more risk in our lives? It is a hard thing for parents to do because we're watching the news and we're hearing negative things that could happen. And I think we just naturally want to protect our kids. But I love, Dana, that you're going to go and think, now where could I let it out a little bit? Mm. You know, could I be letting my children walk a little bit further on their own? And maybe I don't need to be saying, hey, careful, watch out, you could fall. Um, Maybe I watch, you know, my partner a bit more because I know as our kids grew up that my husband pushed it out a little bit. Yeah. And I was very reluctant to sort of allow that to happen. But it did give our kids this physical competency 
where they thought, I can do this. And mm. they really loved that sense of um, agency and I've got skills and abilities. If you see me on Trade Me, though, looking at boats, maybe <laughs> just say, ring it back a little bit. And Dana, you know, don't go that far. <laughs> right, don't sail to Fiji, Dana. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another episode of Parents We've Met. As always, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast project of ours. We are loving putting it together for you. Now, we are all about supporting parents on their parenting journey. So if you'd like access to more resources, head over to our website, parentingplace.nz. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're enjoying what we're doing here, we'd love if you could share it on social media or rate and review it on this app.